Simon Kelly, the founder of Enlightened. You've got kind of the, the New Zealand version of a Silicon Valley origin story, but you started in a caravan. Can you take us, can you take us back to those early days and what yeah. the vision was? So it, it was really fun because what we, what we did right back at the beginning was we kind of had this vision of the web was this really cool new thing and we wanted to be part of it. And we were, I think I was actually gaming uh, um, at the time and we built this big website around gaming and I had no money. Um, and we were doing this um, all basically in the caravan outside the back of my parents' house. And we went to an ISP and we said, Hey, your website's pretty crappy. We'll tell you what, if you give us free website hosting, uh, we'll redo it. So I stayed up that night, uh, drunk, oh, like a lot of Mountain Dew, um, gave them a website the next day. And they were like really happy with it, like really, really, really happy. And I just finished uh, a degree in psychology and cognitive science. And I was going to go back into clinical psychology. And then the ISP kept going, hey, would you like to do this other website for a customer? And then another one. And I was like, oh, I'll start doing some of these. So in the, in the holidays, I'd done a few of these websites and they just kept coming in more and more. And uh, then two things happened. So a collection of people that were like my friends all came to me and said, hey, look, we really like what, what you're doing. We want to come work for you. And I was like, that's okay. I just have no money, so I can't pay you. And they're like, that's okay. Uh, we're just really interested in what you're doing and learning. So that was, I think, the like one of the only times in my life where people have been like, Hey, I want to come work with you for free. And, um, but it was cool. We kind of started in the caravan and then progressively took over the house. And, uh, it was a crazy ride cause we bootstrapped the whole thing. So, uh, I p personally lived off a $5 bag of rice for six months. That's like a really stupid idea. Um, cause you end up getting malnutrition as I learned when you did that. Um, but it was cool. Cause I think the, the vision around what we wanted right from the beginning was I think, and it's kind of stayed all the way until today as we've always really been based on these kind of three pillars, which is we wanted to do really cool, innovative stuff with technology that would like actually make a positive difference in the world. And also on top of that, we wanted to be like really people centric. So build both a community, which kind of, I guess happens when you've got a bunch of people that come and work for you for free um, that are all interconnected and learning together. But then we also wanted to do that with our clients. And then the last thing that we did was we had this concept of sustainable prof prosperity, which is we wanted to make sure that as we made money, we did it in a sustainable way, but we did it so that we can enable people learning and new ventures and cool things uh, for our clients. Um, so that was kind of where it all started. And, um, and then I think like from there until now, it's been like a, it's been like a crazy ride because we really started predominantly doing web development. And then we found in those early days that people uh, kept coming to us more and more for software development and that we're actually quite good at that. Um, so that enabled this like huge period of the organization. Uh, I think our turnover was increasing 40% year on year for about seven years or something. And then we moved into the data and AI space. And what was really cool was when we did that, that just pulled us international. And we, we kind of learned that, um, and especially in like the last four years, that it's actually a lot easier to make an impact on the international stage than you'd realize. You've just got to try. Um, so that was like a great learning. Interesting. Sorry, interesting things there. If we, if we go back again to the caravan, 
Uh, can you paint a picture for the technical context of the time, like how fast were were uh, internet speeds at the time? Like, <laughs> what, what were you yeah. gaming? Uh, okay, so the game I think was either Quake or Quake Two. Um, <laughs> so that will that will slightly show my age. Uh, it was twenty one years ago. So enlightened, enlightened had our 21st birthday on May 10th this year, and yeah we had a dial-up modem like a i think it would have been like either a 33k or a 56k dial-up modem that at one point we had 15 people running off um so there was a so uh, it was it was interesting because that internet is insanely slow by Mm. today's um by today's standards yeah and the but the thing around it which was really good is that um sometimes your limitations end up becoming a strength so because we had like really bad internet we got really good at building really fast websites that were like mm. um the, the images were really optimized the other funny um story is we totally bootstrapped it and we had no money so um, as we ended up scaling and we ended up scaling with people pretty quickly the way that we did it was that we would uh approach friends that had really bad slow computers and we would say hey look uh, we'll help upgrade your computer um, for you we've always um, had a great relationship with pb tech um, so we went hey look we'll help upgrade your computer um, and we'd get them good deals on the parts we'd reassemble it and then we'd be like these really crappy old parts from your old computer can we have them and then we had these shelves where we would like slowly we would get enough parts to build a computer and it was literally all the crappiest parts and then that would slowly become uh, the base of a computer for someone and um, because like we're all we're all young and we're also we're all gamers you also had to watch out because you might go into town and then you'd come back and your computer would be running slower and it would be because someone had opened it up taken the ram out because they wanted to play a computer game that they couldn't because the ram was um ram was too slow i think the worst one um which was a bit of a joke was someone came back at one point and the computer wouldn't turn on and they opened it up and realized that uh where their hard drive was that there was a potato top mince pie <laughs> um so yeah it was it was kind of fun um i'm gonna really geek out for a second uh it drives my partner nuts but i uh restore vintage computers don't ask me why but as part of that i have computer chronicles often in the background and it's really interesting you go back to the 80s and the 70s and th- those limitations that you're talking about in terms of like even basic ram but um what some of the game developers had to do in terms of working around those limitations it was genius um you know so that you've got uh i was i was watching a, a recording with one of the atari game developers and you did this you did this thing it was very small uh, but he was just talking through uh you know some of the some of the things the workthroughs that they had to do so it's really interesting what you're talking about in terms of in terms of you know those limitations can actually help you uh or force you to find new ways of doing things did that did that kind of feed through to the to your approach to the company as well oh yeah and, and i mean like this will um this will like super super date the company so when we began ANSI art and i don't know if you know what ANSI art is but it's like mm-hmm. before vga graphics like yeah. so when we were when we were playing these games we were actually we were learning how to do web development and web design from a bunch of ANSI artists out of america um so vga which is essentially what you would use on all computers now vga graphics was this new thing mm-hmm. um so it was like it was really really early days and i also remember and part of the programming scene is that 
and still super impressive to this day was demos, which were, it was um, machine assembly language, machine code to create these crazy things. So I think we, and I think it's like almost one of the things that makes New Zealand so innovative is that we're on the edge of the world. So sometimes we have to be really innovative because we don't have the same access to things. So I think we got really good at um, really thinking like, what is the way that we can achieve this given the constraints that we've got? Mm. Or a little bit sometimes, uh, what are the first principles? So like, um, you know, we can't do it that way, but actually if we abstract this up, what are the things that would actually mean that we can create these outcomes? Uh, and yeah, it's, uh, it was, it was really, really fun. Actually. One of our, one of our really early clients was the edge radio station. And that was when I think there were a single radio station in in Hamilton. And we did a whole bunch of things for them that at the time were like really revolutionary. So we set up online chat, uh, which was really cool. Um, and then we built them a website because back then radio stations were really just audio. Um, so suddenly they had this new way of engaging with their community. Um, and then we even ended up building them a full SMS platform as well. So we looked at like, how could you take the technology of the time and use that to get better community engagement, um, which has been a bit of a theme, I think the whole way through in Lightning, which is, has been good. If the, 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 some of those philosophies that you're talking about started the conversation in terms of creating you know, sustainable kind of opportunities and, and people focus. That doesn't sound like something to come out of the late nineties tech world. Do you think were you you were ahead of your time in that respect, or where did that come from? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a good question. So some of it, I guess, comes from a little bit from our roots. So. Like I didn't come, so with cognitive science, you do, like I have done all the artificial intelligence papers and computer science, um, but also I did all the psychology pieces, right? So I wasn't necessarily planning to be running an organization that would have a ton of software engineers and uh, data scientists and artificial intelligence experts, right? Which is, um, and graphics designers even, which is kind of where we've, um, we have ended up and we've got like an incredibly amazing team. Uh, and also at the same point, we don't really know what we were doing. So uh, I hadn't done an MBA. I hadn't gone to management school. We were really a collection of people that wanted to do good in the world. And I think the thing that really defined us was we wanted to create the environment that we wanted to work and live in which we did. So we just kind of went out and created it. And I remember that there was this great lesson that we had, which was uh, we happened to be around during the dot-com crash. So you had all of these companies that went out and borrowed all this money. Uh, and we've like never borrowed money, um, borrowed all these money and went after these great things and really had no concept of business model or even how they were going to contribute good uh, back. And we just watched them all crash and we just were completely unaffected because it had never really been the ethos or the mindset because we've always had this really strong view of anything that we do. It needs to create a positive outcome. Uh, and I think like, and the other thing I think that we've got as an advantage with New Zealand is um, there's this, there's this concept, which I think is great to have in New Zealand, which is be a good human. Right. Because in like one, you should do it because it's the right thing to do. But the second piece is in New Zealand, uh, we are such a small nation and we're so well networked that I think if 
someone goes and screws someone else over or they're not great at uh, generating um, positive outcomes, they get known pretty quickly and they, and they disappear. And I think in order to have real tenure as an organization, um, you need to be not only really good at what you do, but you also need to be uh, really good humans at the same time. I want to linger on the dot-com crash for a moment because, you know, you talk about all the companies that fell over during that time. But I don't think, I don't think that we've necessarily learned anything from, from that within the entrepreneurial and the VC world, right? You look at the likes of WeWork and, uh, you know, these, these companies that are kind of formed on the basis of growth as opposed to, you know, profit, revenue and the businessy stuff. Um, why, why do you think, and again, going back to, uh, you and your bootstrapping process, but why was that never a why was that never really an option for you to go? Because surely it would have made things easier, right? Getting some investment and in, getting some scale, maybe you could. Go oh on. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think um, there's pros and cons with it, uh, and this is this has been a reflection over a long period of time. So, in the last well, four years, I've spent a lot of time in North America. And because of doing that, I've really got to understand the two cultures quite well. And there is these things about um, uh, New Zealand which are incredible, right? So number eight, why we're incredibly innovative. Uh, we uh, are just really good at relationships. And I actually think like if, uh, if we're talking about like that whole sales mentality where it's like not kind of cheesy and greasy but you're actually trying to help people generate outcomes and you have better friendships i think we're really really incredible uh the the some of the downsides i think around new zealand is new zealand is a brutal environment to fail in mm. so the i think when i like growing up here, I didn't think tall, tall, tall poppy syndrome was particularly real until I went to North America. And you just see the, the extreme difference of that culture where success is so celebrated. And actually, if someone fails, but they were going for something great that, uh, you know, they're, they're admired for it, which is not the case here. And the other thing I, I've found, which is a big difference between uh, North American, I guess, thinking and mindset versus New Zealand is that they really think about scale mm. and they really think like, if I'm going to do something, can I really make an impact and can I ensure that that impact is going to touch the world? Now there's challenges with it, right? As there is on, on our side, tall poppy syndrome can be bad, but there's actually a bunch of good um, that comes out of it. And the same thing with that more marketing scale based um, thinking like growth is growth is king in America is good, but there's also some bad with it, which is you can get these companies that are never going to deliver value that create huge debt and, you know, kind of go up and then, and then crash and crash and flames. But I think the, the important piece is, or where I believe that companies can do the best is when they really approach both thinking and they kind of hold them, hold them both together. So the bit which has been really good for us is that we probably think more now about scalability and how to take the solutions that we're creating out to the globe than we ever did before. And as long as you've got, I guess, this kind of good human approach and this ability to actually make sure that it's going to make a difference and you're tempering those things, I think you can do more good. 
and I think that we need to be uh, more encouraging of people that are going to do things which are going to change the world. Like, and behind you, you've got a pit, uh, Peter, a picture of Peter Beck, right? Which is like, you know, go back a while and you're like, rockets from New Zealand? Sounds crazy. Um, so it's a very, what he did was a very non-Kiwi thing to do by some ways, but, you know, um, arguably up there with SpaceX around being one of the most innovative rocket rocket lab companies and satellite launches in the world, which is, which is super, super impressive. So I feel like we need to get, we need as a, as a country and a nation, I feel like we need to get both, um, mm. take the good from kind of both sides. Uh, so yeah, it is. Yeah. It's interesting. I think the mindset piece is like super important. And do you think that people like, you know, your success and you mentioned Peter Beck, but do you think that, uh, that the more, the more people like you, that we have and we produce and the more companies like yours that we produce here, does that start to trample some of the tall poppy thing as well and to get us to celebrate success a little bit more and think outside our silo? I think so. I think the, I think the first thing, uh, like culture is a really interesting piece because culture is always, is always, I guess, focused on the country or the organization has control over it. So, uh, if New Zealand wants to continue to do really innovative things on the global stage, then we need to ensure that we're not only celebrating success, but we're, I guess, being nice and encouraging when there is failure, as long as, you know, within reason, someone's kind of gone for, gone for the right things. And I think the more success stories that we have, I think the more it shows, um, Kiwis that you know we can go and do it. I mean, you take Rodri with Zero as an example, or we've got a large amount of these organisations that have done things in New Zealand, created companies, you know, and money's only obviously one factor, but like billions of dollars worth of valuations, which I think have been inspirational uh, to other people around it. And I think it's a, it's, I think you either you either learn what your what the capabilities and possibilities are for you in one of two ways. You either see someone else and you're like, if they did it, I can do it or you fall into it. And I think a little bit around some of enlightened success um, is that we fell into some stuff, right? So we picked up uh, Microsoft as a client about four years ago uh, and from an international sense, and we started doing a huge amount of um, things in media, and it started off really small. So we were we were running the data journalism program, and we were helping essentially struggling media and journalists around the world. And it was small, I think, uh, and it was really cool that Microsoft was doing it, right? Because they're like, "Hey, media is in trouble; they need some help." And um, and one of the things that we ended up doing was we ended up approaching the Associated Press and their data journalism team uh, and saying like, hey, we've got this really cool technology, which is Power BI, uh, which is really good for data journalism and it's really quick. And we believe that you could scale your efforts if you'll let us help you. And what what's cool, well, they said yes, so that was amazing. But the other thing that's cool about it is that half the world sees the Associated Press's content every day. Uh, which is uh, like incredible. So the scale and reach that they've got is amazing. And then what that meant was uh, one for Microsoft, um, 
it was like it was like a big moment for Microsoft because they wanted to do this thing and it was it was scaling and it was more important. Um, and it was great for us because we saw this impact that we could make. And then the next thing that happened, uh, which was slightly scary, was that the Associated Press um, came to Microsoft and us and said, "Hey, look, can we really don't like doing elections? Um, and your technology looks like you can visualize elections in real time, um, and we believe it would work on both broadcast television." And on the web, will you do it? Um, and we're like, sure. So then suddenly we went from supporting media with data journalism into supporting media with uh, like real-time elections on broadcast television. And it's super fun, um, but like also at the same time a little bit scary because you're live and you're live on broadcast television and these are like billion-dollar media organizations uh, that we're doing the work for. And then that went really, really well. And I think this has probably been a credit to Microsoft is when they've gotten a, a vendor like us where, you know, we've had a good success record, they keep they keep investing. Um, and when they're seeing that things are working, they keep continuing to scale it. So then this part of Microsoft became this team called Microsoft News Labs. And it's currently led by um, a great guy by the name of Bed Rudolph. Um, and he's uh, been the PC guy. So he's got like a huge Twitter following, he used to be on TV for a whole bunch of stuff. And then they've got these other amazing leaders in there like Jamie Burgess and um, Deb Abgauer and Vera Chan. And they're, they're, they're all a collection of both technologists and journalists from Microsoft, which are stepping out and using technology to transform things. Um, and what's been cool is from the roots of data journalism, we've now moved into artificial intelligence and we've been doing some really, really cool things um, for media around the world. And it's fun. It's nice being able to say, look, we go to work and we're making a global impact for an industry and for society as a whole. Um, and if I loop all the way back, if you don't shoot for something like that or you don't fall into it accidentally, you don't know that you can. But as soon as you have done that, now you're like, hey, um, this is an amazing thing. Let's keep doing it. It's going to be a point, though. Like, how could you even have imagined back in the caravan and the rice days that you would be at this point, as you say, of being a part of, you know, this kind of cultural transformation Uh how how do you how do you even uh, imagine that to shoot for it? Yeah, I think that I've been really lucky in life to be able to meet some pretty incredible um, people that are really the top of their game in the world, right? So, um, and the the piece that I've found around talking to all of them is that the single pattern and thread is vision. So the, and this will sound slightly hippie, but they all, they all roughly have the same story and the story goes along these lines. It's like, you know, I woke up in the morning. Um, uh, I'll give you one example. I was talking to um, uh, Steve Vai, who's like a fairly famous guitar player. And he's like, um, from a really early age, I woke up in the morning and I saw myself playing as like the greatest guitar player in the entire world. And I was like, and then what I would do is I would practice that day. Um, and then the next day I'd wake up in the morning and I'd see myself playing as like one of the best guitar players in the world and I'd practice that day. Um, 
And then he said, and then one day I realized that I was playing as good as the person in my vision. And it's, it's a variation of that story, which I think is the piece that I've seen all of the time. And I think because we've been in business for a while now, um, I think that's also what we've seen is that if you have a really clear vision for where you want to go, um, like largely that vision will come into reality. Um, you, you have to work for it. You can't be like, ah, I see this amazing change or impact that I want to make in the world and not do anything. You've got to put the work in at the same time. But I think holding that vision is really, really important. And I think that if you come back to what you were saying before, which is like, you know, what are ways that New Zealand can really transform? Um, and I think we've actually got a huge opportunity to transform and um, really we've got a, a massive advantage with how well we've dealt with the COVID situation at the moment. Mm-hmm. I think that piece is around really holding a, like a vision around where we want to go and how we want to get there. Yeah, uh, there's so much to talk about in that macro sense. But I want to sit with you for, for a moment. When you wake up in the morning, what is that? What is the person that you see? Like, where? I mean, you've done a lot, but is that, oh, is that, is that the person? Is that, the, or is there still more to do? Oh, there's definitely more. Oh, there's definitely more to do. So I don't know that, um, I wouldn't say that you wake up in the morning and you think about yourself, right? I think <laughs> what, uh, um, I was being slightly uh, poetic. Yeah, yeah. I think, I, but I do think that what you do is you th- you wake up in the morning and you think about what is it that you're trying to bring into being, right? What is that vision or that um, new area that you want to, I guess, kind of pull into reality? And um, that is that that is the super important piece. Um, so, and I'm definitely. Uh, I've definitely gone through like a period of times, uh, a lot of times in my life where I've like walked in on things and let's say like I've looked around and I'm like, whoa, this is real. That's freaky. <laughs> like, and it's, it's kind of, it's trippy because you can go back to when, you know, let's say like I was a student, I had no money. I'm in a caravan and you've kind of got this vision of like what you could create. Um, so that's probably the first one. The the second bit of relation to what you're in there is like, um, uh, and uh, this would probably be a, how I would talk about myself. Um, uh, I wouldn't say that I'm even slightly satisfied. And the, the, the reason behind that is that I think in life, everyone's giving gifts and what you want to do with those gifts is that you want to um, use them in the best way for the world and the best way for society. And sometimes you can uh, realize um, that actually you could have done more, right? And that if your mindset had been slightly different or maybe if you'd worked a little bit harder or whatever, I think like most people uh, always realize that they, that, they might have sold themselves short or they didn't reach reach too high. And if I go back to the, the story and I'll talk about it from like totally from um, both a personal and an organizational context is like, uh, I mean, we've, we've done some cool things. So I talked about the elections. We did a whole bunch of work um, and a sub point on that for um, with Microsoft for an organization called Politico. And that report is the most viewed power BI report in the world. Right. So when you're, 
when you're kind of sitting there and you're going, we made we made this as a you know Power BI data journalism report, um, and it's the most viewed one in the world. Then you start going, well, crap, what could I have done if I had kind of realized it? So I think sometimes like knowing where you should shoot for uh, is is really important because you tend to get there or close to wherever you decide to go for. Um, and then when you realize that you can do something, then you're like, well, maybe we should try something a bit a bit bigger and uh, and a bit, bit harder. It's interesting also around the boot, bootstrapping story because um, you asked me in the beginning. So we bootstrapped. Uh, it was great. Uh, would I do it again? Hell no. One, malnutrition is not a fun thing. Uh, so that's a bit of a challenge. And then, but the other one is that it does slow down growth. Mm. So you'd be much better to borrow money appropriately because it will allow you to scale impact far better. Um, so, you know, there's definitely parts of me when I look back and I'm like, did I take enough risks? Mm. Um, did I, did I shoot, did I shoot far enough? It's a, it's an interesting question, but the great thing is, um, still young, still got lots of time. Um, so we'll see where things go. That's interesting. And uh, do you, but do you think that with the bootstrapping side of things, I know it's a little bit slower, but does that give you an opportunity to sort of push out your comfort zone step by step as well? Like your, how does your personal growth do you think connect with the growth of the company and the and uh, and the opportunities that you've had? Yeah, so the re- one of the core reasons why I bootstrapped originally, or I told us told myself I was bootstrapping, um, was because it limits your ability to make really major mistakes, right? And it's a really nice reinforcement of what's working, because if you start from absolutely nothing, so you kind of come back to our like origin story, you know, we're making computers out of spare parts, and they're slow. Um, so we had to earn everything. So like, or like every printer, every PC, every screen, every monitor. I remember when we were in a house at the moment and it's like summer in New Zealand and it's crazy hot and we're like, we really wanted an aircon, but we couldn't afford one. <laughs> so, um, it, it, you get very good at, I think, um, it's a, I don't know, poor man's MBA <laughs> might be a good way of putting it um, in, in some way. So, so it's good from that regard. But I think there's so much polarity in so many things in life, right? So, you know, you get the value off it from one degree, but actually kind of it slowed us down in others. Um, so Do you think about, is there an element of that still in your DNA though? Like we are talking before about the, the freedom that can sometimes come from limitations as well, like being really having to be forced uh, to be innovative by the, by the nature of your financial situation and the, and the, the, the growth of the company. So creativity. So my view is that creativity comes from constraints. Uh, so one of the things that I did through this journey was that I was a graphics designer for quite a long time. And it's a, it's a much harder thing designing something when you've got a blank sheet of paper than when you've got some constraints or a client brief. Um, Cause constraints I think are, are what create creativity. And then I think as an organize, I think organizations always have constraints. There's never enough money. There's never enough time. There's never enough people. And that's where I think vision is really important because vision shows you where you're going and then you have the constraints that you've got 
in your organization and then because of those constraints use creativity in order to apply them so um COVID, for example uh has obviously totally sucked for the world and definitely had a negative impact on us, but it also had like a really positive impact at the same time. And, um, and it's also a bit of a story I think around mindset. So I was in North America about, well, it must've been like maybe a week or two before New Zealand went into lockdown. So I got back just in time. I self isolated and then the country went into lockdown. So I had a slightly longer isolation. Um, but I had this conversation beforehand uh, with a really close friend. And what she said was, um, there are these like seven levels of problem solving. So you're about to go into what is a really challenging time. And when you go into that challenging time, how, how is it that you want to deal with it? Do you want to look at them, look at the situation as problems? And when you're looking at the problems, you know, try and ignore them or get rid of them. Or do you want to go all the way up to where they're not problems, they're, they're opportunities. And when we came back into Enlightened, I kind of, we grabbed the team together and we talked about this concept. And because of it, what we decided to do was look at, rather than kind of freak out about COVID and, um, you know, do redundancies or a furlough, and we didn't end up doing any of that, which was really good. Um, we went, actually, what are the opportunities? what do we need to do for our clients so that they can respond? And what are the opportunities for our clients? Uh, and how do we do that really quickly? Uh, so one of the things that we did was we, I think in 48 hours, we came out with a collection of offers. So some of them was um, a crisis communication site, for example. Um, and we helped a bunch of organizations like Tawaka um, get websites out to be able to support local businesses um, particularly quickly. Um, and that made us better because it showed us that we could get these really relevant offers out to the market really quickly. And it was this whole thinking mindset. And it meant that we went through without actually having to lay anyone off or do any of those bad things. Did COVID hurt? Totally. Um, did it hurt our clients? Like a, a lot of them got really impacted, right? Some were fine. But I think that mindset around what are the opportunities that you get out of this um, and how do you address the situation, I think was really fundamental and really, really important. And it's made us, I think it's made us stronger and more resilient as an organization moving forward. And we also, we, we've really had this like this focus on making sure that what we do is scalable and repeatable so that we can make more of an impact both here and globally. Um, Cause we want to take innovation internationally and help bring it into New Zealand and really scale it and take innovation that we're doing and innovation that we're doing uh, with uh, our international uh, partners like Microsoft uh, and scale that out. And um, we, we kind of continued on that path through, um, and I think that was like really, really important. So yeah, it was good. Yeah, so it's it's very powerful. Uh, the concept of uh, problems, opportunities, and it sounds great in theory. But was there a moment there, like even the first week of lockdown, when no one knew what the hell was happening in terms of their business and and you know life? And but 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 for you personally, uh, was there a moment there where you just wanted to go and hide under a rock? Did you feel oh. the weight of responsibility on your shoulders? Uh, like I would say, firstly, 
I don't like I work really hard normally. I don't know that I've ever worked as hard as I have through this time period. And to be honest, even still now, right. It's uh, the world is in a really challenging place. Um, I think in New Zealand, we're absolutely blessed and you know, everyone has like good days and bad days. And there are days where you're like, Oh, um, you know, uh, it's, um, it's not fun. I think the one advantage that I have is that uh, there's a really good thing that happens when you start a business um, like we did <coughs> 21 years ago and you have no idea what you're doing. You make a lot of mistakes, right? Um, so because of that, you get used to facing adversity and understanding that you need to be resilient and you need to be adaptable and um uh, different people get energy from different situations. So, um, you know, I'm lucky enough that uh, sometimes, you know, putting some order into what is a like chaos or uncertainty, I get quite a lot of energy from. Um, so in some ways, uh, the reason that I've been able to work so hard through this period is like um, because of that. Um, so it's been uh, like, and I think, with emotion, whether it be good emotion or bad emotion, it can be used as a motivator, um, and it can be used as like a positive driving force. You just need to you just need to harness it in the right direction, um, and you can't do it all the time. Um, but when you can, I think it's um, I think it's really really good. Do you, uh, do you, uh, I get the sense that there are a lot of uh, websites and e-commerce sites built uh, over lockdown all of a sudden, which kind of surprised me because I thought we were, aren't we meant to be ahead of the game here? We're meant to be innovative and agile here, but there are a lot of cases where our, our digital resiliency or capability didn't didn't seem to be up to scratch for a lot of schmees. Great question. Uh, are we ahead of the game here? Depends what sector you're talking about. If you look at New Zealand from an innovation perspective, then we are totally ahead of the game. So we do incredible uh, innovative approaches but actually if you look at us from let's say a digital maturity in relation to let's say the web or personalization then uh, to be honest no and some of the reason for that is um, if I make an, ex uh, an excuse is um, for some organizations in New Zealand it's really that if I use that North American scenario in North America you've got what 530 million people Right, so if you want to target them, you kind of have to do that through a digital channel, and you will be doing things such as, uh, uh, so we use a product called Sitecore. You'll be doing things such as personalization. You'll be doing lead scoring. Um, you'll have nurture marketing plans. You'll have that integrated into your CRM. Um, but unfortunately, from that style of maturity. Uh, in New Zealand, which in some ways is really good for us, we would probably be one of the only agencies that's really doing that in the country, which is great because it gives us a really nice sustainable competitive advantage. <clears throat> the problem with it is that I think New Zealand companies in that regard are a bit behind the times. And there's a, there's a big shift that's happened from COVID and it's actually been of advantage to us, but I think it's a bit scary. Um, it, will, it will be a bit scary for a lot of organizations. So historically, if you were, let's say, choosing a company or choosing a supplier, um, local was a really important thing. Um, 
And really, in order to be able to sell to someone, you needed to be local and part of the same tribe. Now, what's happened with COVID is that we've moved into this world of remote working. Mm. And that's shown everyone that, A, you can remote work and that remote working is kind of pretty easy. And the second thing is, um, especially if you're overseas, you're largely in lockdown and you don't want to go near (laughs) anyone anyway, especially if they're close to you. So the whole mindset has changed from people wanting local to people wanting the best provider that they can get. Um, So if you look at us, we doubled down on our international strategy even more over this period because the barriers to entry have just like dissolved, mm-hmm. uh, which has been great because people are like, we know you're really good. We don't mind that you're from New Zealand, um, which is, which has been cool. And we're in this like privileged place in New Zealand, right? Where we can kind of still go and see people. And obviously um, still the majority of our clients are New Zealand based. So we'll go and we'll go and see lots of clients still. But when you're going digital, all of those digital channel dynamics like lead scoring and nurture and all of that and CRM and integration, super important. And um, that would be an area where maybe I would be a bit worried about some New Zealand businesses because we'll often, let's say we're in a a competitive situation, a lot of the time if we don't win, we'll don't win, we won't win because an organization will be like, we really love you're offering in this area, but we're not that mature yet, right? So we just need something dumber, simpler, a static brochure website, um, which is great as long as everyone else has kind of got static brochure websites. And then the other thing that we're also starting to see, which is really interesting, is the um, there's this big shift at the moment, one on that kind of digital experience scenario, but I think we'll see things such as AR and VR will become more accelerate far quicker because you've got Satya Nadella saying, you know, we saw um, two years of digital transformation in two months. And then the other piece, which I've, um, because we do quite a lot of artificial intelligence is like chatbots, which used to be really gimmicky are now like this big thing, uh, which is like, uh, we've got tons of requests and we're doing some really cool work and it's actually working. And we've got a client at the moment, they're called Welcomely and they've got this really cool concept of, um, they've got this um, premise, which is like virtual meetings suck. Um, so we're going to, we're going to make them cool. And they've essentially created these like host desk bots or host, or host bots, which will greet you while you're in the lobby and talk to you. And it's, you know, it's similar to like, you know, if you're waiting outside someone coming and offering you a coffee, but obviously this is all being done in like a um, digital perspective. And then they've got all the analytics and that information in behind. And I think that the, we're just going to see more and more of these um, either AI chatbots or digital humans and this augmentation of experiences uh, moving forward. And some of the technology that's coming out, like there's a technology from Microsoft that we do a bit of work in called Neural TTS. And it's, um, we can essentially record your voice and then we can have the computer sound exactly like you. It's actually a secure technology because you need to be careful that you're using it for uh, appropriate means and purposes. But it's like suddenly when computers can now sound like humans or like a particular human um, means that we're just, that you can actually make those experiences far better, which is really nice. So it's going to be, I think the amount of innovation that we're going to see from this is going to be huge and really exciting. 
but mm. we've got to temper it with ethics and making sure that it's used used for good. I'm glad you said exciting because you know you're talking for about it being scary in terms of how behind a lot of uh, companies are, and you know not really stepping up to that. Like shying away from that digital maturity that you talk about, but this, there's got to be so much potential just sitting there, right? In terms of productivity and how much, uh, you know, how much better we could be performing. Oh, absolutely! Like the opportunities, I think at the moment are incredible. So the, um, oh yeah, it's like it gives businesses the ability to reimagine their business and have a bit of a reset and then from New Zealand specifically we've got this amazing opportunity at the moment where you know we are COVID free Uh, so we've got kind of the old model but also the ability to have the new model which is this you know far more digital outreach um, style scenario so like um, you know we've got a huge opportunity if we choose to leverage it at the moment and I think the other thing is, from a global stage, I don't think our brand has ever, ever been as strong as it is at the moment. Because mm-hmm. you know, I think um, Jacinda's done a particularly good job in a bunch of, in a bunch of situations around how she's dealt with some disasters, and I think the border controls have been really good. The the bit is really how do we, as a country, now leverage that for economic recovery? So we've actually we're sitting strategically in this point where we've got this advantage. Um, and I think that from whatever government is in power, I think the, um, you know, there's a real opportunity to look strategically at how we use this and act quickly. I think that there, uh, I think if there's a risk, there could be a risk that we, that we don't act and that we just keep the borders shut. Um, and we don't think around, um, how can we use this advantage? Because, I mean, there, and there's lots of people out there with like great ideas around how you could leverage this current situation for New Zealand. We need to make sure that we stay safe, um, but we also should be taking the strategic advantage that we've got as a country. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you. I, I think that connects to that perception. So when you when you and your organisation go off and you negotiate with a global client and uh, you know do business with the likes of Microsoft, what is it that you are leveraging? Ah, good question. I think historically. It has, well, I think, has, well, not even historically. And I don't know that it's even just New Zealand, uh, sorry, international organizations. But when you're talking to a new client, there's a couple of things which are important. So the first one is, you know, can we work together? Are you good people? It's kind of like the ticket to the game, right? Do you know what you're doing? But then I think really where we're seeing this big shift in the world at the moment is that are you best in class or really good at what you do? Do you have a repeatable way of lowering commercial risk in order to ensure that we can get those outcomes um, that we really want to get? So I think the people, organizations now want more specialist organizations than they want generalists. And I think that's been a shift for a while, but that's been a shift that's hugely been accelerated by COVID. And then whether that be a, um, you know, a huge multinational or an international client or a local client or even like a small client, it's like, um, you know, that's, that's what, that's what organizations, organizations want at the moment. So if I look at like one of the, with our country partner award win, 
uh, one of the clients that we talked about inside of there was sustainable clotheslines. And they do this like amazing thing around supporting, especially in New Zealand and other parts of the world, citizen scientists. So, you know, normal um, Joe public going out and helping do beach cleanups and categorizing the rubbish so that we can take that information and make better, more informed decisions. So there's um, great examples around how they've got, you know, plastic store, straws, you know, supporting the government, getting those banned in um, various places, which has been good. And uh, Camden is just, you know, a great leader and does amazing stuff. But one of the reasons why they selected us was because of the pedigree that we have in data storytelling. And if you take uh, what Sustainable Coastlines is doing, and they work with the UN, is that they needed the rigor of, you know, scientific um, method for how that data is being recorded, and we obviously needed to do it in the cloud and do it in the database and make sure that we're kind of using, you know, AI where appropriate and all of those style scenarios. But ultimately, they want to make change. And if you want to make change, you need to tell a story and you need to back that story up with data well. Um, and because we've got such a pedigree in doing that, that's why we were selected. And so we built obviously the website and the mobile apps and all of those scenarios around it, but it was that core pillar around data storytelling. Um, so I think it's important to, you know, know what your differentiator is, um, but just be really good at what you do. Um, and really focused. And then the other thing I think New Zealand has an advantage of is that I think we're really good culturally at partnering. So I think that you can partner with either your clients or other organizations to make sure that you're really scaling impact as well. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's been good. So what lessons do you think there are there for, you know, for other industries and other sectors? It's like we've got this wonderful opportunity in terms of the perception that we can leverage as, as I guess, a foot in the door, but you need that, you know, you need the goods to back it up, I guess. But we do, do, you, do you think it is about, like, do we have the capability here? Have we got the potential to work together to create uh, world-beating uh, world opportunities within different sectors as well? Yeah, look, I, I think so. I think... Um I mean, well, let's let's take a couple of things with, I think, New Zealand as a whole at the moment. So um, we've got a collection of realm countries, um, such as the Cook Islands at the moment, which are COVID-free like us, um, but we've got no domestic travel. Now, there's some um, advantages on that, which means, you know, tourism circulating inside New Zealand supports the New Zealand economy. <coughs> And actually, if we go over to kind of places like Rarotonga, um, there's not likely to be the same amount of um, traffic flow back. However, I think what is good if we were to do something like that is that it does support the airlines, it starts to support travel agents, and actually kind of supports the realm that we've got. And then I'm seeing some places come up with some super cool innovative ideas. So in Hamilton, Hamilton's got like an international airport that hasn't been used as an international airport for a while. And one of the reasons around why the realm countries haven't been opened up is because if you look at some of the other airports, they're worried about the mixing of international travelers, which are coming in with, because then, you know, COVID could spread. But like, um, I think like, and I think this came from like a city councillor is like, what an innovative idea to be like, we've got an international airport that's not being used, let's reactivate it for the realm countries. And then suddenly, you know, we've got tourism, safe tourism kind of going in and out again, which would make the, the global stage. And then the other scenario that we've got is because we're a largely English speaking, westernized economy, and we've got a ton of hotels and we've still got like a lot of people out of work. There's the, 
you know, what about taking the managed isolation facilities and commercializing that so the people can come in, but they actually need to need to pay and that it's well policed and well secured um, because that could actually bring a huge amount of wealth into the country, um, which could be pretty transformational, right? But there's a there's a window and a time frame on those style scenarios. So that's, I think, taking our current strategic position and looking at how we leverage it. And then the, the bit which I think going out the other way is that New Zealanders are so good at innovation. And we honestly do so many things which are world class. And I think it's that mindset of going, am I building this for New Zealand or am I building this for the world? And it's not that big a change to build it for the world. Uh, so why not build it for the world? And um, there is amazing support infrastructure in New Zealand for that. So if you look at the likes of NZTE um, or Export NZ, or even when you go to vendors uh, like Microsoft, the geo expansion program, and we've been lucky enough to get into NZTE Focus 700 <coughs> and Export NZ, um, 100 accelerator and the geo expansion program from Microsoft and then you can start using all of these tools um, to really you know help scale your impact which is great for our local economy um, and you know great for the world actually because to to make something which is really scalable in the world means it's doing should be doing good um, so I think there's some I think there's some huge opportunities and like you look at um, you use the Peter Peter Beck example um, again is that News, when New Zealand moves fast but safely, we can do incredible things. So I was speaking to um, Stephen Joyce, uh, I think like last week, and was just talking about the speed that the government put in the regulation around for the aerospace industry in New Zealand, right? So like just in blistering time. And then you look now what we've got, um, which is like, you know, we've got essentially like a space industry out of New Zealand. And if you'd asked someone in New Zealand that like a couple of decades ago, uh, they would have thought you were crazy. <laughs> so it's, um, I think, I think when we, when we're strategic, when we think about what we've got and we're focused and we move fast, but safe, I think we can do some pretty incredible things. Sticking with the crazy thing for a moment, if you look at if you look at New Zealand, where do you see there might be other green shoots of opportunity? I hate the word green shoot. I can't. I need to think of another word. But what are the what are the other potential latent industries uh, that we have the potential to to do a Peter Beck with? Well, I think that first one that I said before is really interesting, which is we have a tourism industry which has been decimated mm. uh, at the moment. And and it's been decimated because we've needed to keep the country safe. And that's been really important. <coughs> and it's like, there is an opportunity to, um, in a safe way, reopen New Zealand for tourism. Um, if we can move quickly and we can be really, if we can be really smart around it. And um, that would give us a huge advantage on the world stage. Um, if we could do that and a huge advantage for that industry, which um, could stop it from being set back for four years um, because, you know, COVID essentially made that industry disappear overnight. Digital, anything digital at the moment is, is incredible. Um, so I think I've talked a huge amount of it, but if you think about it, the world is going far more digital. Um, we've always punched above our weight in that area. Um, 
so I think that's another another huge industry. And then there's really both the New Zealand brand and the whole Providence story around primary industries and food. Mm. So food safety is huge. Being able to have traceability on food. Um, and when you look at uh, tools and technologies like blockchain, we've got like a huge primary industries um, opportunity at the moment. And our brand as a, as a nation on the world stage is incredible. So we just need to make sure that we really capitalize on that. Beautiful. Thank you. What sort of, what sort of leader are you? Oh, that's a great question. What sort of leader am I? Uh, I'm really big on vision, I think, would be the would be probably the the important part, which is I think like the thing I love about Enlighten is that we have some of the most incredible people in the industry. Uh and um uh, we've been able to create this environment which has just allowed them to do things on the world stage and make impact, which has been a, which has been incredible. And I think that I guess from a leadership perspective is that um, some of that is around holding a vision and also listening to other people and essentially creating that vision that everyone um, can follow around. I think that um, a kind of maybe the easiest way of answering this might come through our values. So we have like five values. So the first one is fun. Um, so we really like believe in like a really fun, um, amazing environment and that comes back to that story that I told you before around the origins right we wanted to create the world that we wanted to live in um, so that's quite cool creativity is a huge thing for us whether that is <clears throat> how to do things in a like out of the box way or, or do that type of stuff in order to have uh, a creative organization you need to give people the latitude to be creative to make mistakes um to do incredible things our whole microsoft as a client um perspective actually came because uh, one of the guys on our team a guy called um Vern roberts came up with a power bi visualization which was these little fish that are animated that swim around in a fishbowl so this is like a data visualization and it's fish and that became so big um, that one of the leads at Microsoft went and like we won the People's Choice Award and a whole bunch of stuff, showed it to Bill Gates, right? And then because of that, that ended up being one of these stepping stones that ended up kind of moving forward. So creativity was was really, really important. I think connectedness is the value, is another one of our values, which is really that desire to make community, to support communities, to be connected and with everyone. Um, you know, good, good Kiwi value of integrity. So doing what we say, um, making sure things are things are really really good, and then uh, learning, right? So I guess uh, if I was to describe my leadership style, um, I've been really focused around creating an environment where those values can thrive, and we can have like cool people doing epic things on a global level. Mm -hmm. uh, would be where it was, and it used to be on a New Zealand level and then we realized we could touch the world and uh, just make a positive impact. So it's, um, it's been cool. It's been really, really fun. And within the, within the organization, is there a tension sometimes when you've got, there's a room for creativity and, you know, uh, for risk taking and, and uh, along with that failure. Uh, but is there that tension between, you know, the kind of the craziness and the, and the systems as well? Have you had to work hard to find a balance? Yeah, so it's it's um 
That's a great question. So we've been able to grow and mature through systems and process. And as long as the systems and process that you're using isn't too heavy and it's an enabler, it does it. It allows you to uh, allows you to um, do better and go faster. Uh, we also do get viewed as kind of a startup, which is really interesting because we've been around for 21 years. So when you've got this like startup vibe, but you've still got these, um, you know, good systems and processes that actually support you to scale and <clears throat> make sure that you're doing like really good work because you need to you need to make sure that you. Um, that we are generating client outcomes, right? So we'll do R&D and we'll do tricky things and they might fail, but we kind of need to do those in a, in a container or at least block them into 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 our proof of concept. And um, I don't know, it works fun. I love going to work. It's like, uh, it comes back to that original, original point, which is like, we all just wanted to create a place that it's where you'd want to go. And it would, I don't know, work is an interesting world. Does it feel like work? No, it feels like going and hanging out with friends and, doing really really cool things it's interesting what did what is it do you think that has enabled you to keep that that startup vibe when you've when you're growing to you know you've been around for 21 years massive clients globally 70 people uh because you you should be a corporate now right you should have uh lots of layers of management in there and lots of fat and uh but so how do you, how do you... <laughs> um yeah, good question. So we do have, like, we we do have management, and um, I'm not saying management's both. bad, by the way. I don't. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's. I think a few. Well, it's going to sound really cheesy, but a few different things. So, um, I think the first thing is like make sure that things are real. So we have a vision, we have a mission, we have values, right? But they're not placards on the wall, right? They're literally. Um, they're the fundamental building blocks of the organization. We use them in how we make decisions. We use them in relation to uh, how we're going to reward. So there, there are these important things. And when some of your values are things like fun, um, so uh, we're we just won the uh, Microsoft Country Partner Award. The um, the Thing that's just about to get or announced or I think uh, is being announced is that we've got this um, partnership that we're doing with an organization called ARC Group in Australia and they're, um, they're like super cool um, but they're quite large they're maybe like uh, 500 staff I think they've won 59 design awards they're a really nice synergy with us because um, you know they're going to help us like really scale with what we're doing with AI and data science and we're helping them with web and creativity and our AI capabilities um, and it's kind of nice because this whole COVID trans-Tasman bubble thing when it actually happens between Australia and New Zealand will be um, will be really good but we were on a call with them yesterday and uh, Spider-Man references are just slowly being thrown through um, the conversation um, on and and to be honest, like really nicely, like on both sides as well. And the the cool thing about that is that everyone's like everyone's being serious. We're getting the job done, and and Arc is like you know d deals with some of like the biggest enterprise organisations in Australia that we now work with them on, and. Um, you know, it's it's fun, right? And I think that it's it's a little bit similar to 
I think what the world learned with remote working, which is we've always had this really fun, cool environment where people have enjoyed going to work and having like a really great culture. And I think if you went back far enough, organizations would have been like having fun at work is not professional and it will mean you don't get the job done. And then if you look at COVID um, and everyone ended up getting sent home and working remotely, I think the big thing that organizations realized was like, turns out if people are working from home largely, they still get the job done. In fact, they might get it done better. Um, and they're more happier and they've got better flexibility. And you had this situation that forced organizations to realize that some of the things that you thought were critical weren't. You don't have to have everyone in the office eight to five. Um, so I think that's kind of been part of it and stuff. And, and, and then just, you know, listen to your people. Um, don't be a dick. Try and have a really cool environment. Um, is, is probably like the easiest thing that I would say. So, um, and have fun. Are you still gaming? Yeah, totally, totally, what you, totally. What are you playing? Oh, uh, what am I playing at the moment? Um, I decided I'd never gotten around to doing um, the Far Cry series. <clears throat> so I just did Far Cry 3, Blood Dragon oh, 4, cool. and I'm currently on 5. Uh, I think I went Legend and Hearthstone. <laughs> Uh, over the COVID break. Um, so still playing like a little bit of um, Hearthstone. Um, it's, it's more like a, a break at the moment. Um, but yeah, no, still, still, still a gamer. Mm, nice. I'm on New Dawn at the moment. Um, have, you, oh, have, nice. you, have you done Last of Us? No, I've seen it. I don't have a um, PS4, but I've been like, should I, should I play it? And then obviously there's all the scandal around Last of Us 2 at the yeah. moment. So I'm like, it's, yeah, no, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't, I'm, I, I'd be keen to. There's that, there's a challenge between the two comments is like one working the hardest I've ever worked at the moment. And then gaming has been a, it's been a tricky, tricky thing to balance. But I actually think, um, I think like games are, are sometimes get like a bad rap, but they're just amazing for, having an experience that switches you off or puts you into a different state almost instantly. And I think they're just great for helping build strategic thought. And, um, and I think some of the, um, though they can be a bit too addictive, some of like the massively multiplayer online games can be incredible for actually understanding organizational design, uh, how you do recruitment and all of that type of stuff. So I've definitely um, feel like I could credit uh, a significant amount of business success to gaming, um, uh, which I think I've, um, I've actually, <laughs> I remember like through the days, like, and this was early on, I remember a prominent university um, really wanted us to come speak, but not me um, at that point, because they were like, we feel like you're going to talk about gaming, and we think that might send the wrong message to our students. And it's it's amazing, like you you know you're talking about the open world stuff, but even something like The Last of Us, uh, very cinematic, incredible storytelling. Uh, not talking necessarily about the latest one, but you know there's something in there that shows where the future is. And I know it's a massive industry at the moment, but uh, like you can see where it's going, and that that kind of intersection of movies, and even with the AI stuff as well, like the potential for in non-player characters 
to uh, say stuff that's totally dependent on a whole lot of the a whole lot of other variables. So every player experience could be very unique. It's fascinating. The fascinating future. Yeah, it's uh, it's. Uh, I mean, it was like obviously it was a long time ago now, but there's that point where where gaming then took over the revenue from movies, mm. and then. Um, I got into esports, um, which is like a whole different, whole different story, and was like super fun. Um, and I, I realized that I was playing um, with a collection of my friends that were earning serious money, <laughs> like serious, serious money. And it's it's interesting if I go all the way back um, to when Enlightened began. I'm like, it's like four. If the if the gaming industry was where it is now back then, would I have taken the path that I took? Is a really interesting um, question because you know you've got you've got people making millions um, from gaming, so it's yeah, it's a it's an interesting world to watch how that has evolved and adapted. And I've been to the um, Red Bull in LA and had a look at their esports setup and. Um, it's interesting because, you know, esports is just such a massive thing now and it kind of a little bit came out of nowhere um, into the mass. So it's, um, yeah, it's been very cool. Did you answer that question for yourself? Is there a parallel universe where, you are, where you've got your own Twitch channel and you're sitting there in the corner in a gaming chair? Oh, yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, um, there was a bit a few years ago where I ranked number one in the world for a game um and i was like uh Whoa, this is interesting and then i was like now i should probably go back and um keep uh, do some work what was the game uh, i was diablo 3 actually <laughs> very cool very cool all right one last question a question about questions but uh for my next interview with another incredible business leader is there a question you'd like me to ask yeah, I think I think a really great question would be, uh, what is your vision for New Zealand, and how do you think we can get there? Cool, brilliant. Oh, actually, one other question: Have you still got the caravan? Yep, absolutely do. <laughs> brilliant. That's. Uh, do you take it out? Do you do it? No, no. And in fact, even back from then, it's like on the property. It's like it's kind of enshrined and fenced, and you'd have to do quite a lot in order to get it. It was it was never a moving caravan. It was more like a an extension room on the house. So no, it's still it's still there. Actually, it's um yeah yeah. It's been really really fun. 